1: There are several words that Paul could have used here uh, to describe being a servant, words like doulos and so forth, but the word that he uses here literally means an under-rower, and it indicates the service of the lowest galley slaves, the one that is rowing in the bottom tier of a ship, perhaps a warship. They were the most menial, unenvied and despised of slaves. That would be hupereites, that $3 Greek word that
0: simply means despised. God's economy has the leadership roles completely upside down. It's like an inverted pyramid. But it is God's way, and it is an amazing way. And that's what we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 4, godly leaders. With
1: Study Verse by Verse, here's Pastor Leighton Sheely. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the fourth chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians. This message is another in our series on the book of 1 Corinthians. It's written by Paul to a church there, a young church. um, and, And that church lived in the midst of an exceedingly wicked, decadent, violent, hedonistic, and prosperous community. It was a seaport community. And so all of the philosophies and religions of the world all came in there, and and, uh, it was in that regard an awful lot like the one in which we live as well. And the Corinthian believers there struggled with the same thing that believers have struggled with all through the centuries, and the same things that believers struggle with here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, They, in many cases, tried to enjoy both the benefits of the kingdom of righteousness as well as the pleasures of the kingdom of unrighteousness. And so Paul wrote this letter for Christians to teach us how to live in the midst of a godless society. Uh, Most of the first portion of it deals with various aspects of leadership from verse 10 of chapter 1 through the end of chapter 3. He's dealing with divisions in the church that sprang up with fan clubs around uh, some of the great leaders that that church enjoyed, uh, Paul, uh, Apollos, Uh, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, these are some of the great, great leaders in the Christian church. And so having addressed this issue of putting leaders, even these kinds of leaders, these apostles, uh, and lifting them up onto precarious pedestals on which they were never intended to be, Paul now goes on to describe what a good church leader should look like, a good and godly church leader. Churches have always had a shortage of leaders. Uh, leaders are people with, that, that, that have the courage to affect the status quo. Uh, there can be leaders of two or ten or a hundred or a thousand or millions, but uh, leaders affect and change the status quo. Uh, our ushers are leaders. They improve the quality of the environment of worship that we experience here at Highlands. Our Sunday school teachers and helpers are leaders They improve the understanding of God and God's Word uh, to our young people. Churches have always had a shortage of good and godly leaders, and you've heard the saying, nature abhors a vacuum. And because of that vacuum, many have been sucked into church leadership that were neither called by God nor gifted by God or have not yet matured sufficiently in their faith to be church leaders. Oftentimes, churches look to non-biblical models for leadership and in their selection of leaders. And some people think that being a pastor is an awful lot like being a CEO. You stand up in front of people, you talk, and, and you make decisions. And so therefore they conclude that any successful CEO could be a successful pastor, and any successful pastor could be a successful CEO. But the fact is that, that pastors rarely make excellent CEOs. Uh, because uh, uh, pastors have a compassion in their heart for people that makes it difficult to make the hard decisions that they know people are going to look at as being injurious. And by contrast, CEOs are only interested in productivity, and they're only so willing to cut people uh, if it meets uh, their particular needs. And uh, far too many American churches have not been led by pastors, but rather by CEOs, who brought in volunteers and paid staff, burned them out, and threw them out uh, looking for others. Churches should not get their uh, model for leadership from business, but rather from the Bible. And because of a shortage of good and godly leaders throughout its history, the church has always been hampered at really fully accomplishing all that God has called us to accomplish. Churches have always had a shortage of good and godly leaders, and our church is in need of good and godly leaders. We need more ushers, Sunday school teachers, children's ministry workers, Bible study teachers, small group leaders, administrators, technologists, media people, in so many areas where either ministry is not currently happening or it could happen so much better if the right people were in the right place. Now, the church at Corinth was having the same kinds of issues. They, they had a shortage of good godly leadership. They had an abundance of leadership that was not good and godly, and that's why Paul begins uh, this chapter 4, describing what good and godly leadership should look like. He says in verse 4, in in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, "...let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy." Now, the us here is referring to church leaders, and the first thing that Paul says about good and godly church leaders is that they are servants and stewards... Now, some people think of church leadership as a glamorous or easy job where you only have to work one day a week, Sundays, and uh, you play golf the rest of the week. And there actually are some church leaders who follow this model. But a good and godly church leader is likened to being a servant. Now, if you were to look at the original Greek word, you'd find out it's much more offensive. Uh, There are several words that Paul could have used here, Uh, to describe being a servant, words like doulos and so forth. But the word that he uses here literally means an under-rower. And it indicates the service of the lowest galley slaves, the one that is rowing in the bottom tier of a ship, perhaps a warship. They were the most menial, unenvied, and despised of slaves. If you've ever had a chance to see the classic film Ben-Hur, and if you've not, I highly recommend it you have some idea of what an under-rower uh, life is like. You know, those Roman warships were absolutely huge. They were immense, and they were, they were powered by massive oars that were like small telephone poles. And each oar was handled by more than one man, and, and those oars were stacked down the length of the ship, and they were stacked in tiers, three and four tiers high. And uh, the lifespan of an under rower was measured in weeks or months maybe, not in years, and decades. Um, the men were chained side by side, seated on narrow planks. There was no floors beneath them. There's only a foot brace to push against as you pulled the oar. If you appeared to be slack, there was a soldier nearby with the whip who would bring it down on you. The under rower never left his station. They were chained to it. They ate at their station, they slept at their station, and when it came time to go to the restroom, there was no place to go. And I don't mean to be crude about it, but what they did dropped on the under rowers beneath them. The uh, environment was filthy. The air reeked. The work was hard. Food was paltry. And when the ship sank... Those chained to the oars went down with it. And if you want to be in church leadership, this is what you're signing up for. Okay, well, that's only the first item. Uh, A second example that Paul uses to describe good and godly leadership is a steward. If you've flown on a plane, you understand the role of a steward. The steward does not own the plane. They don't own the cart. They don't own the food that they're serving. Um, it's the steward's job to manage the resources of the owner that's been entrusted to them and to fulfill the goals of the owner. It's the job of the steward to make sure that nothing is lost or wasted uh, and uh, to protect and manage the owner's property and that every assignment by the owner is successful. The Greek for steward here is ekonomos, and it literally means a house manager, uh, a person is placed in complete control of the household or, or a particular area of the household. There was stewards who supervised the property, the fields, the vineyards, the finances, the food, and other servants. The word for mystery here, mysterion, is used in the New Testament, is that which was hidden and can be known only by divine revelation. What is divine revelation? It's what's been revealed by God. What has been revealed by God is found in His Word. It's a reference to the Bible. And so, as stewards of God's mysteries, a minister must take the revealed Word of God and dispense it, serve it, back to God's household. He needs to serve it and not hold anything back or adulterate anything. So if you've been called to be a steward for a Sunday school class or a a small group or a Bible study or a congregation steward well, teach the whole Bible, all of the Scriptures, not just the ones that are popular or easy or leave everyone feeling good or ones that you are personally successful in. It says that a good and godly leader are stewards of the mysteries of God, not their own opinion or our own agenda. You know, everyone has opinions, but the only opinion that really matters is God's. And the reason we come together here at Highlands week after week is to open God's Word and find out what God's opinion is about matters of life and ministry before us. His opinion is found in His Word. Therefore, Paul says, "Since we have this ministry, we've announced the things hidden because of shame, not walking craftiness or adulterating the word of God." The preacher or teacher who disregards certain scriptural texts or twists them to support his own ideas or programs adulterates the word of God. It says that the most important character quality of a steward is that they're found trustworthy or worthy of trust. That's the most important quality of character for a steward. It's not that they are clever, that they are witty, that they're humorous, that they're a great storyteller, or any of those kinds of things. Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. And so when the Lord returns, the only absolute requirement that he will judge by is that his servants were faithful, that they were true to the Lord's commands. Food is the spiritual food that God has prepared in His Word, and it's the steward's job to deliver the right meal to the right person at the right time, unadulterated. And the servant who does this well will be blessed by the Master when he comes. Well, it really is quite the opposite
0: of what we know to be true out in the world, isn't it? You see, leadership in the world serves self first, and then maybe the company you're working for second, others third. But in God's economy, it is others that we serve selflessly, constantly. This has been Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Layton Sheely from Church of the Highlands here in San Bruno. Thank you for joining us today. We trust you've been encouraged and gleaned a bit of insight into what a godly leader really looks like. For more, visit our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. And then come back and join us tomorrow for another study verse-by-verse verse with Pastor Layton Sheely.